1: Say no to people who want you to be something that you're not and be proud of the fact that you have the courage to say no. A lot of times when we try to get to a certain level, even our mom and dad will scratch their head. Well, no, mom and dad, look, this is what I owe to the people who I work with. Yeah, it might not look real good to you, but no, I can do it all. And and I'm going to make mistakes along the way, just like everyone else has and i'm going to choose yeah. no i'm not going to let it bury me no i'm going to learn from it mm-hmm. i'm going to i'm going to take the experience and run with it
2: Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about saying no and setting boundaries to help you become the
0: authentic and empowered you that this world needs. I'm
2: Heather Drago and I'm Sarah Saunders. For those of you returning, thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate you and we're glad you're finding your content helpful. For those of
0: you who are new, welcome and
2: thanks for joining us.
0: We're excited to have you here. Feel free to jump in with this episode, but be sure to go back and listen to our first episode to learn why we're here.
2: A quick reminder, while Sarah is a licensed professional clinical counselor, this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy with a mental health professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, we welcome you on this journey but also invite you to seek out professional help. Go to this episode's page on our website and click the link to find a therapist near you. With that said, let's get started.
0: Tony Legando has spent a lifetime in education. He taught fourth grade for over 40 years and was the head football coach for the Huron Tigers for 28 years. is a member of the Ohio High School Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame and currently Tony is an accomplished motivational speaker and author. His first book, entitled To Lead a Good Life has just been published, and he writes a column in several newspapers throughout North Central Ohio. Tony has been a big mentor in my life, as well as my husband, Justin's. For those of you that may not know, Justin lost his older sister, Michelle, in a tragic car accident when she was only 19 years old. Justin was 16 years old at the time, And feeling incredibly lost. Tony swooped him up and played a life changing role for Justin during that painful time in his life. When I think of Tony, a leader is one of the first things that come to mind. He leads his life and his truth in such an authentic and powerful way. He encourages others to do the same in their own lives. I am honored that Tony has taken the time out of his busy schedule to meet with us. And I'm so glad this conversation will be recorded because I know that I will want to listen to it over and over again. Mm. So get your hearts and your pens ready. This man is about to blow your mind. So Tony, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for the nice introduction. I appreciate it very much. Uh, You know, my life has been uh, something that I'm very proud of. We all have a rough start sometimes, which I did like anybody else, but uh, I'm proud of the result. I'm real proud of the result.
0: Well let's let's hear about that. I'm curious for those that aren't familiar with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are now.
1: Well, it is a long journey. Uh but a good one. Uh sometimes it's uh not easy to get started as I said. I come from a big family and I think that's a positive. Uh things weren't always easy for us. There's uh, I have 8 uh, brothers and sisters, uh, wow. my mom uh, battled mental illness uh, about as rough as it could get, and my dad was an amputee. Uh, so sure. those uh, I wouldn't want to go through again. But I see now that they, uh, you know, I gathered a lot of strength from it. I think that adversity is going to do one of two things: it's either going to bury you, or it's going to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I- I'm proud to say that. Uh, All of us, my brothers and sisters have gone on. We've gotten our education. Uh, Although my mom struggled, she I can't imagine having a greater mother than that. And we all look for role models. We all look for mentors. Uh, I certainly had two of the best that you can have. And as all I've tried to do in my life is impart what I've learned from them. Uh, It hasn't always been with words. It's been more with actions. And I think we all know that uh, that's where you get the best leadership from. I went on to uh, after high school in Huron, uh, I went on to uh, college at Ashland University where I got my degree in education. I switched after some student teaching. I got a chance to go into the classroom with fourth graders instead of high school uh, students and fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be honest with you, I got into education more to coach. Uh, than anything. I just thought we can win some games and we're going to have some fun. And the teaching, I didn't put as much time and effort into thinking about. But once you start working with little guys, little girls, you know, 10 years old, and you find out they need what you have, how can you not fall in love with a job like that? And it changed gears. I love coaching. I don't think it's the greatest thing going. A lot of times people will say to me, well, you act like coaching is the most greatest thing in the world, you know, like it's the most important thing. And and I think that's baloney. I don't think football is the greatest thing going. But I think working with young kids, both high school and elementary students, uh, who are at a critical time in their life when the decisions they make can stay with them for a lifetime. Uh, I think that's a real important job I, I'm not sure there's many out there that are more important, and my tools to try to motivate were football and teaching and mm-hmm. It just happens to be probably the only two things in life that I'm good at uh, and so, tony
0: i'm I'm curious for a second like do you remember what it was like when you were in fourth grade?
1: Well, I do. And I think that's why I gravitated towards that age. Uh, I was
0: was so curious because I feel like sometimes we have a tendency to want to be for someone what we needed during that time.
1: Yeah. Well, I I know I connected with my fourth grade teacher and I was a rough little guy. I, I. can't tell you I was in love with education, uh-huh. but I had a teacher, um, Mrs. McGorry, who uh, I don't know. She treated me with respect. She tried to understand me. And I'm sure that has something to do with why I gravitated towards that age. But also fourth graders still love their teachers. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I just kind of got a kick out of that, that these guys want to learn. Uh, so, I, like I said, how could you not fall in love with that age group? And when they need you, they really do. And, and just the other thing, sir. if I could throw this in there.
0: Please. Coaching
1: high school at the other end, then. You know, so I get these guys and these girls in fourth grade. Then I see them down the road in high school. Uh, it's really kind of cool. Although sometimes you see that little sparkle in their eye when they were 10 years old, they lost it along the way for one reason or another. That's a heartbreaker. Uh, But the other thing is they don't hide who they are in fourth grade. So when I got them at the other end and got a chance to work with them in whatever uh, we were doing in school, uh, I already knew them. You know, by the time they're sophomores, they can hide who they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got them. I know how to motivate them. I know how to work with them and talk to them. So that's a little bit of the start, at least with education and family.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm curious, because being in the education system for, you know, 40 years, what was it like being in the school system? And were there ever times that you noticed yourself not agreeing with some of the systems that were in place and kind of having to set boundaries in order to stay true to what your mission was and what you wanted to accomplish as a teacher and as, you know, a very integral person in these young kids' lives.
1: Yeah, I I think it would be the same for any profession out there, for any of us that are trying to get to a certain level where we can absolutely uh, lead people. Uh, have a positive impact on them, and that's to stay focused on what your dream is, stay focused on what you're responsible for. It didn't matter to me, and it took time to get to this point, uh, what was going on around me, What, what the teachers were saying in the hall, what the administrators were talking about, the different curriculum that came our way. I concentrated on the students who I taught. They're the ones who needed me teacher down the hall, the administrator in the office, they didn't need me. You know, I mean, I was there and all that. Sometimes I did help out. I don't want to act like I got into a shell and never came out. But if any of us really want to reach a goal, we have to focus on what it is we're trying to accomplish. When you got a little 10-year-old looking at you and they need your help or they need you to help them with whatever it is their challenge is whether it be spelling or something tragic at home, why would you focus on anything other than that? And then uh, I think they feed off of that. I think they respond to that. And the other things will take care of themselves. Uh, I also learned that if you get up early enough in the morning, you can prepare for anything that comes your way. So I just refuse to back down from anything other than It's my focus. It's my dreams. It's what I want to accomplish. And I'm not letting anything around me get in the way. And I learned that at home, you know, with my mom's struggles. We focused on her. All of us had a little job to do. I wish I would have been there more, but all of us have a job to do. We all have a little guilt complex along the way. And with my dad who, uh, you know, he struggled to be able to walk. Uh, You know, I know what it's like to be a little hungry. Uh, I know what it's like to have to wait your turn. And those are all good lessons that if, like I said, if we can take those into the classroom, into business, into our families, come on, it's got to work out better for you. But you can't let anybody stifle your talents, kill your dreams. It's it's our own choice. I don't have to listen to the guy down the street. Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on what I have to accomplish.
0: And Heather, I can't help but think like, You know, you've shared in previous episodes that, you know, you had a tough childhood as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was raised by a single mom and a grandmother. My father wasn't around. We lived um, in what could easily be called a slum for my first 10 years. Um, There were times when we didn't have food and people had to show up at our door with food. Or you know, I was a free clinic kid. I didn't go to the dentist till I was the first for the first time until I was twelve. Um, and my mother's brother was severely mentally ill. He had, it was he was a paranoid schizophrenic, and so that was always a dynamic in my family. So when I say we were raised, I was raised in chaos. Yeah, it, it's tough, and but it makes you stronger, you know. I and I went through a lot of really bad experiences, but um, you know there's this balance of strength and fragility of learning to process it. So, you know, I've had my my moments of depression and having to go get help with a therapist. But, But on the whole, what I've learned is it's I can get through anything. And it's made me a more compassionate person. You know, I just... There's that saying of, you know, you shouldn't worry what's in someone else's rice bowl unless you're checking to make sure they have enough. Um, you know, I think about that. I think about people who are hungry right now. And, and you know, so we're trying to do our part to help. And, you know, you, I understand what you're saying about focus. You have to focus on what, what you're... Um, what's before you, what you're really trying to accomplish and know that you can get through it and just kind of stick to your guns and do it. Um, But also you can bring that compassion to your leadership. Um, You telling the story, Tony, of having these little um, fourth graders and then seeing them again in high school reminds me of uh, a a teacher my daughter had. So she was a, a kid who struggled and in fourth grade was getting really bullied She was the odd kid with glasses and curly hair and didn't kind of She had a little bit of ADHD going on and, you know, struggled a little bit. So she had this great art teacher named Will Wilson, fantastic art teacher, and she just loved him. And then she went to high school and he was her high school art teacher. And... And by then she was sort of coming out of her shell a little bit, figuring out who she was. And he just embraced that so much, you know, and she came out and she just was who she was. And he just accepted her and celebrated her and helped form her. And now she's a successful art student, you know, and and I think. Those opportunities, those those ten year olds are coming into the cusp of those horrible tween years. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have such a chance to mold their character, you know, and then catch them on the other side, and and then to help kind of ease them into adulthood. I think what a wonderful opportunity you have to to do that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, listening to you and the challenges you've had, and to see where you're at. You have your own business. Uh, boy, I feel like I know you, you know what I mean? When you can share yeah. what you've been through, you know, yeah. as much as you can. Um, I think other people pick up on that and you can, uh, you know, I feel like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth and you can say, geez, you came from some tough times. Yeah. That's the silver spoon that, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, And like you said, if you can share that as a leader and I think a natural passion comes out of that that I I feel like I can do anything. Absolutely. Maybe I have trouble hanging a picture in my house, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I feel like I I can do anything.
0: I think that that is like the beautiful piece is, you know, that vulnerability and that, authenticity of and what I really do in the therapeutic setting is I help people understand your history explains you, but it doesn't define you. And right. that our life, our life is like a book. There are so many chapters to our story. Some of these chapters have dust on them. We don't want to open them back up. Some of them we don't mind reading over and over, but each chapter has so served us for exactly the reason we're here today. And then the most beautiful part of it is that the pen is in your hand and you get to decide what you want these next chapters to look like.
1: Well, that's, that's well-spoken and that's true. I think, you know, what is it that backs us away from the dreams we had when we were 10 years old? And you gotta somehow keep your eye on that vision. I know I hear you sometimes talk about the guilt of I should be doing this, this, or this, and I think we all have to sort through. Mm -hmm. Sure, we all have to sort through those things, but we have gifts, uh, you know. And I can say that without sounding conceited because I've been at it long enough that I have received the fruits of those gifts. But wouldn't it be a shame if we back down? for any reason, and not share the gift that we have. Mm -hmm. That's not acceptable. There's too many people that need what we have to offer. And if we focus on anything else, we're giving up on our dream and those people that need us.
0: Well, Tony, so listeners, I call Tony frequently because <laughs> I am, you know, we'll talk about in a minute, like imposter syndrome is something that I struggle with, the mom guilt being an ambitious, you know, independent person, but also a mom of three young boys and a wife. Like I have a lot of hats that I wear. But Tony, what do you always tell me when I say i'm I feel selfish? Do you remember what you tell me?
1: Well, I can think what I would tell you right now. Um, I think selfishness comes when you're not sharing your gifts. And, you know, that's not fair to everybody who needs you. Mm
0: -hmm. Now,
1: I know we all have things that we have to take care of at home, and I wish I could go back and correct some of those. But I know from talking to my own children, They have a toughness about them. I mean, they've watched me handle myself. They have a work ethic that I'm very proud of. And like I said, I think selfishness comes when you curl up in a ball and say, I I can't do this or I'm done with this. Boy, I would love to compare my struggles with the little 10-year-old that runs in the dark to get away from his dad because his dad, you know, his sport of choice is to drink too much and, and take it out on his kid. Uh come on, I don't have that kind of challenge. My parents struggled with things, but certainly I came from a family of love. So why would I think that or or take my mom who uh boy in and out of just about every uh hospital, mental hospital in northern Ohio. And I exaggerate only a little bit. I've got a challenge like that. No, I don't. You know, I almost feel sheepish when I say, well. This hurts or that hurts or I'm tired. Just come on, get, get real. You have a gift to share. Get up earlier, I guess, go to bed earlier. I don't know, whatever it takes to get there. Have at it.
2: Tony, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my grandmother who I talk about all the time. So I had this amazing grandmother. Her name is Bernadette. Last on our last episode, I shared that um, she graduated from college when she was 59 years old. Oh, she she worked her way. Uh, she was an x-ray technician for like 40 years. And she had this mentally ill son she was taking care of. And she just kept going, kept going. She came from just an incredibly impoverished background. One of 10 kids just really struggled. But she was determined. And she was always a peace activist and a social justice warrior. And just, you know, always was at protests. And I went with her to the ERA marches in the 70s. And, you know, mm-hmm. but what was amazing about her is she always found a way I fit what you're saying about sharing your gifts everybody has a gift even if it's a little thing a little thing so she did things like she, there's a list of things she did like after the watts riots she had been tutoring kids in watts because I'm from Southern California and and after the watts riots she organized bus trips to take kids out of the neighborhoods and take them camping with a bunch of doctors from where she worked at the hospital um when um when she finally moved here to northeast ohio she she was a writer and so she wanted to help the homeless. And so she, there was a there's a newspaper that they sell that like if you see homeless people on the street, they'll sell um, these newspapers and they earn a little pocket money. So she would write articles for that newspaper so they would have something to sell. Um, like she just always wow. was doing these things in her life. It just was woven in her life. And I feel like, she, you know, she she personally registered over 900 people to vote in 2004 because she just wanted more people to vote. Like she just sat there with her little folding table and chair in front of the supermarket on weekends. She so I it. just, she got shit done.
0: Like she was a badass. <laughs> she
2: really was a little five foot badass with a king. She was incredible. Um, so I just feel like she's been my role model my whole life. Um, she's why my company's called clever girl. Cause she always called me a clever girl. Um, and, um, You know, I just feel like what you're saying about you have gifts to share. Nope. A lot of people, I think, don't realize the gifts they have to share. Like they just, you know, I I know someone who knew how to knit and she was just a knitter. And so she would go into the Cleveland Public Schools and sit with teenage girls and teach them how to knit. And she was there to really just kind of be someone to listen to them and talk to them and be an adult that they were safe with, you know, under the guise of knitting. Like there's so many things people can do to to share their gifts and help others. Sorry yeah. to go on my soapbox
1: like that. No, <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's just so true. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, in
0: one of the things, you know, and Tony, I honestly like, don't know if I'll ever truly be able to thank you for the mentoring that you've done for me, because I am a multi passionate person. It's how I've always been wired. And poor Justin, I wake up at like, you at 2am. I'm like, Justin, Justin, I have an idea. And he's like, Oh, my gosh, here we go. Um, but I think what tends to happen and whether it's societal expectations, whether it's conditioning from like learned behavior, there's this like voice in my head that sometimes is like, slow down, you know, which I, I do know that I can, I'm one person I can only do so much, but sometimes I feel like I have to water myself down in order to be accepted To this like societal expectation. And so in those moments that I'm like, I have an idea, I want to go big, or this is something I call Tony. Because I'm like, Tony, here's like what's going on. But then I'm like, but I feel like this imposter. I feel like, who am I to open this business with three kids during a pandemic? Who am I to offer, you know, this workshop? Who am I to do this podcast? Like, I'm just this person, like, who's going to listen to me? And that is when... again, and I, Tony, I joke about it. You both have heard this, like the shitty committee meets in my head
2: (laughs) and gives me all
0: of the reasons why I should not be having these dreams. You know, it's like, it's hard to explain, but it's also like, there's a reason that this passion is in my heart. There's a reason why my brain is thinking of these things. And tony you have just helped me so much overcome i'm still a work in progress but help me overcome the imposter syndrome and i'm curious if you could kind of you know share a little bit about what advice you would give to those dealing with the imposter syndrome or trying to water themselves down
1: yeah well that's a, a a great question and uh you know, what I've tried to do is study, you know, you get up early every morning. I'm still doing that after all these years, but study great people. I, I mean, I have a bookshelf full of successful leaders. I, I don't think there's one of them in there that hasn't been through a real life struggle. I think that's where we draw the the passion from and the desire from. But, uh, you know, I have had the luxury now of being in it long enough And seeing the results that, boy, there's a motivator. When you start out like you are now, you might not be getting immediate feedback or long-range feedback. I know right now in my heart that I did enough with the people who I taught and coached that I know what I'm talking about. The doubt has been removed. I had the same doubt getting started like this is crazy. Who am I that thinks I can do this, this or this? Well, uh, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't get some reward for what I've done in my profession. And some reward, obviously, for what I've done with family. Okay, so I know that my mission was. The right one. I affected enough people. I can, I can see it. I can feel it. It's out there. I can touch it with an email or whatever. So I think if you can keep that vision strong that I have this gift, like I say, I really feel I have a responsibility to battle anything out there that's trying to take me away from it because this is the gift that I've been given. Uh, and I have. Uh, you know, you talk about mentors. We all have them. We all have to lean on them. We all get those feelings. I mean, I love it when I read about this great coach who we see on TV. Pick up his book and read it. I swear to you, he has the same doubts along the way that you and I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to hear that mm-hmm. these people that you think are so tough and so well directed and can perform so well in the toughest of times, yet they've had the same doubts that we've had. So, uh, I don't know, dig in. And it makes it all more worthwhile. But like I said, the guilt should come from you have a talent and something is making you back away. Don't let that happen. Now, saying that, still got to take care of family and kids and everything that we're put on this earth for. But you can do it all. I mean, I really think you can do it all. And why wouldn't you try to? Because the result is such a powerful feeling. When I see a girl who struggled in school for all the wrong reasons, and I see that she is now a teacher. Whoa. You don't think that can motivate you for a while? Or a young man who you have coached along the way, like you said, your husband, who was struggling when I came along. You know, and just a little one-liner said, boy, I'd love to work with you out on that football field. We could have some fun. And then see where that's taken him from to where he's at now. Are you kidding me? You think I'm gonna back away from any challenge? Justin Saunders deserved me to stay focused on a guy like that. I don't know. That's the way I feel. And I'm, I know the results are there. So the guilt complex, easy for me to say, put it away. You got a gift. Use it. Don't let anybody tell, you no. nobody. I get going there, but I scare you two to death.
0: <laughs> it, like, I, like love I, 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 I love it. I love it. Like I said in the beginning, I'm so glad this conversation's recorded because I will be like listening to this over and over. I think one of the things too that I've always loved about your story is above everything, it's about connection. And when Justin talks about his high school football team. And I know a lot of, you know, guys out there reminisce about, you know, high school, and you know, <laughs> things like that. But like when he talks about it, he talks about it as though it was a family and that connection. And I'm curious for you, like as a coach, and the role that you played as a coach with this goal of kind of creating this like family bond in your teams. Like, can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think I realized early on that winning a football game didn't satisfy the needs that I had. Uh, I used to tell our guys all the time, half the teams in the country, half the high school teams in the country are going to get beat tonight. The other half are going to win. I don't know. There has to be more to it than that. You get 70 guys together on your varsity football team and is all you can accomplish is to win a few football games. Come on. That's weak. So we worked in the community. You know, if one of our ball players needed something, we were there. Not a perfect world. We didn't always answer the bell, but we sure worked on it. And probably one of the greatest things I did in coaching, and I don't want to get off, the, but, but I think this is important, uh, was to have each kid come to my house for a 45-minute talk, just one-on-one. Take yourself back to high school and think, I'm going to sit with my coach or my teacher for 45 minutes. You can't hide I want to know you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want you to know me. I want you to know that you are in this for more than the reason of just winning a football game. That's, that's beautiful. That's kind of the team goal. you know. That's why we get together. But there's so much more to offer. And I think they saw that. It's what I demanded. We are going to support. We had... Probably the first youth program, I'm talking fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in the state of Ohio for football. We didn't bring them in just to teach them how to run over some, you know, quick drills and agility drill bags. We brought them in to start planting the seed now that we're developing a team. You want to be a part of it. You represent. I think individuals are great. I love individuals. We all do. We get a kick out of them. Got their hair a little different. They got this, they got. But when we get together, we are a team. We are a family, and you got to put your individual needs aside unless it's, you know, you and I in a one-on-one or whatever or the team helping the team, but you got to be a part of this. And that, another thing i tell them, if you think that, you know, when I'm 55, 60 years old, that it's a big thrill to get on a school bus and drive 30 miles (laughs) down the road to winning it, that's not what it's about. It's about using that tool you talked about to positively affect the young men or young women that you work with. Got to do it. There are no excuses not to Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind because the gift is real.
0: Well, and I love what you're sharing. And as like a relationship therapist and as a family therapist, families, are a team. And I try and really reiterate this to families and identify that like each person in the family plays a significant role. And the parents specifically, like they are part of the team. And I love the intentionality and the investment that you make with your players. And as parents, for those of you listening right now, spending that time to really stop and pause and invest in connecting with your child. When you feel that it's, it's about a partnership. Like it's not about the parent just telling the kid what to do. It's about understanding that child and understanding how can we best work together as a team to become the best family like the ultimate goal for you you know to win the football games but like there's plays that you have to practice there's a lot of communication that has to happen and it doesn't just come naturally it takes effort and i think you know as i know we have a, a lot of um you know moms that listen to this and and i just think it's important to recognize the importance of viewing your family as a team and it's collaborative and it takes work and it takes communication and, you know, investing time, you know, in that.
1: Well, if I could just share a a quick story with you. Please, I love your stories. You said (laughs) uh, that there's a lot of women who listen Mm -hmm. and, uh, I've often said when I speak and I I've had a lot of speaking engagements and I love it because it's a chance to still connect. But there was a, a, a guy in our neighborhood, his name was Ted temper, who's a world war II veteran. And for a college class, I had to interview somebody. So I went down the street and talked to him. In my entire lifetime, I watched his wife help him get in the car because he was crippled from that. You know, he had shrapnel that came in his hip over in Belgium. Uh, But I asked him, you know, are you bitter uh, that you've been disabled for this many years? I hate the word disabled, but I I mean, no, challenged or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, am I bitter? No, I'm proud of what I did. And I'd do it again for my country. (laughs) But I asked him, when you were laying on the battlefield, what went through your mind? You know, he's on a battlefield for about 300 yards, and there are German soldiers, American soldiers, all the atlet, laying there, and they're all wounded. He said the Mm -hmm. toughest thing in the war, besides being away from family, was while I was laying there for 24 hours before we got help, everybody was on that field that was injured, was yelling the same thing. They were all calling out the same thing. You know what it was? It was mommy. Here's these big tough soldiers. And what they need is their mom. Now, if that doesn't motivate you to be more a part of your family and to try to positively influence, I mean, that guy, when he said that, when I go out and speak, you guys, I mean, I tell that story because I think America is in a lot of trouble unless moms uh Can be a vital part of where we have to go, and I know that's what their goal is. But I wonder if they really realize that the what a man needs, what another woman is their mom. I mean, that's what all kids need, and I've watched it. I'll tell you, I taught the kids who struggled in reading, and the next class would be the top math kids. Okay, you know what the difference was? Here's the difference: parent-teacher conference, generalizing. No one would show up for the little guy's struggling. Math students, moms and dads were there taking notes, listening, asking questions. Young people, the ones who you work with, Sarah, I know they need what we got. And, you know, you can get all wrapped up in the analytical part of your, uh, your job, the, the things you're supposed to do and to try to, when you sit down and talk with other child psychologists or whoever is in the, the realm of what you do, you know, you can listen to all that and make it worry or you can lead from the heart with passion. I really, I'd go to teachers meetings and listen to teachers that could talk some educational jargon that blow me. Up. I can't do that. But I go in there and connect with my students and if you, if you let anything back you away from that, I guess shame on you or shame on me or whoever.
0: And that was one of the most pivotal moments for me, Tony, when we had that conversation, because that whole imposter syndrome that I was dealing with, and I will say, I am different than a lot of my colleagues. I don't use a specific manual. I am private pay because I don't true I don't believe in the label of diagnoses. I look at the person, I look at the symptoms and I believe that symptoms are signals that something deeper is going on. And so when we focus on the label or try and just and I'm air quoting like fix it, we're not getting to the healing. And so part of the work that I do is really, I, I don't use big words. I don't use, you know, a lot of psychological babble. I show up as I am and I talk about their journey all of those chapters and we talk about what we needed to hear we do a lot of inner child work um but that was the biggest thing for me and tony i i will never forget you were like i was sitting in an iep meeting because i remember sitting in a meeting with doctors and psychologists i was making notes to look up words that they were saying. I had no idea some of the terminology that they were saying. And I was like, who am I to sit here and be one in this room with all of these very educated people? But then I started recognizing like, if I compare myself and I know I use this language a lot, it's not about the grass is greener on the other side. It's about watering the grass you're in. And so I really, I really stopped focusing on what they had. I cheered for them. If that works for them, kudos to you. But I started to really say, okay, what feels in alignment with who I am? And just like you had mentioned, Tony, there was evidence that I was doing well because my practice right now is growing. I'm hiring someone else because the referrals keep coming in. Like I'm making change in people's lives. People are getting better and healing through the work that I'm doing.
2: You know, Sarah, when I when I work with our clients and we're doing branding and brand strategy, you know, we talk about you know, what do you, what do you have to offer that's different from everybody? Why would someone hire you rather than the other company XYZ that does the same thing? And, and I've even faced this myself when we're trying to write, you know, what I do on my website. And there's this, this feeling like you have to be, you have to, prove that you're as good as the next person and that, you know, all the same things they do. And, and quite honestly, I do things very differently than other marketing agencies. I don't have marketing mumbo jumbo jargon on my website because I think all marketing agencies do that and they're all sound the same. And how does that make you stand out? It doesn't. So I I feel like, I feel like acknowledging your special approach of what makes you different. That's what makes some, anybody stand out as a person or as as a brand as an entity whatever I think you have to know what you stand for and be able to verbalize it and be okay with it and kind of plant that flag in the ground Mm -hmm. and there's a lot
0: of unlearning that has to happen in order to learn the direction you want to go
2: yeah
1: yeah I know uh the school used to always tell me that you need to turn in a discipline plan. Okay, what are you going to do if a kid's late? What are you going to do if a person? late? Well, i got 70 guys. I refused. I never turned it in. I said, well, that's, you know, my thought was that that's just stupid. What You know, what might work for Justin Saunders doesn't work for the, the kid in the lo- at the locker next to him. How about if I take the history of where that student has been? And who knows better than I do? I mean, I've had them every day. It's it's my classroom. It's my locker room. I'm going to use the discipline plan that that kid needs at this time, taking into account his background, taking into account how I respond might affect the rest of the team and go from there. But, you know, I got a chance. Bo Schembecher was a coach at Michigan, big-time Hall of Fame coach. I got a chance to talk to him one time, not one-on-one. But he said, listen to me, guys, you get all worried about – these schemes that you use on the field on game night. He said, teach attitude every day, teach team every day. And he's, and and, you know, we say, he says, no, look at me. That's what you have to do. It's not about all the other things. It's about how you bring them together. Sarah, those young people you sit in the room with all the time, tell me real quick, who knows them better than you do other than their parents? Nobody So why would you pick up a book? I think picking up a book and reading what someone else has done that gives us a background to work from, but a lot of it isn't you. That's not your approach. What are you going to change who you are? I'll tell you one thing kids are smart about. They know fake when they see it right now, you can't Mm -hmm. fool them about that. You can fool them about where's your homework and all this kind of, you know, you, you cannot fool them about passion in someone's eyes. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I know both of you, when you talk, it's not what you're saying that mesmerizes me or that that you know clues me in. It's the passion you have when you say it. Some people can say the same things you're saying, but it's like it's out of a book. That's not you. I want to know what's you, so I can draw the conclusions as to what you're saying has some validity, has some backbone to it. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the the things I love the most is when we first get on a on a call, Tony and listeners, I I really want you to think about how you do this in your own life. How are you? Is like the most loaded question. And Tony, you would you would say, Sarah, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm okay. And you would always say, Sarah, how are you really? And I think it's just taking that extra step when people I feel like we've been conditioned to kind of be like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, but how are you really like getting to that deeper connection and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and allowing yourself to accept you're allowed to have bad days. And just because you have a bad day doesn't mean that you're still not grateful. I like to, you know, really help people understand like you can be overwhelmed and grateful. You can be you know, happy and frustrated, like those feelings can coexist. It doesn't have to be rigid. It doesn't have to be black and white. If we can live more in that gray area and just like acceptance and and, and just that connection, it makes such a difference in our relationships.
1: Well, I don't have any doubt about that. My, you know, what we ask the people who we work with, the people who we lead, what we ask from them, we have to deliver too. You know, we know they're all struggling with something. All right. But we are too. (laughs) I mean, to to think that we're not going to get up every morning and have a thousand doubts is, is ridiculous, but can you get through them? You know, when I go speak, uh, you guys, I don't, uh, I don't motivate people. I, I think the stories that I have to tell about people who I have worked with, that's the motivator. I mean, how fortunate can you be that you see a, a kid whose dad passes away in a motorcycle accident real early in the morning? You get a call from mom. Hey uh, coach, I lost my husband. My son's up at the Marine recruiting uh, office up in Cleveland. Can you go let him know that? Uh, I don't want to be a leader now. You know, I I, I don't want to go up and tell that kid he lost his dad. But you got to do it. Doesn't matter what struggles you're having at home right now. You know, you got to put everything aside. So I think we have to use our background. Use... The beliefs we have in ourselves have been taught from when we were little. And you got to go after it. There aren't any excuses. And then once you've gotten through that, when I had to drive to Cleveland and sit down with that kid and tell him, and today I see him as uh, the assistant principal here in high school. Huh. (laughs) You don't think that makes you feel like a million dollars. There's motivation out there. You got to find it. A lot of times it's in your own heart. A lot of times it's in someone else's heart. But if you use some, you know, college book to try to find it, you're not going to find passion in there. You're not going to find it anywhere but within yourself. So you have to be observant. I mean, reading, I have,
0: reading between the lines.
1: Uh, perfect. Perfect. And then how you interpret it mm-hmm. is going to be, I mean, they used to tell me, here's the way we want you to teach it. Okay, I'm listening, but when I get in my classroom, that doesn't work with my personality. That doesn't work with my presentation. I'll teach a kid what a verb is, okay? In my own way, because I can express it in a different way. I don't know, makes sense to me.
0: One <laughs> 100%. And I think, you know, kind of circling back to what I had shared about, you know, all of the things that I was taught in grad school and the way that these, you know, successful psychologists and doctors were doing things like, it just wasn't my style. And I felt like what's wrong with me, that I am not able to regurgitate these things like school never came easy for me. But I worked hard. I have always put the effort in. I've always asked the questions, but it's not something that naturally, you know, test taking, that was that was really difficult. Grad school was was hard, but I knew the greater goal on the other side. And then deciding to open my own practice, I got Uh, it it felt again that imposter syndrome was constantly coming up, but it was like the first time that I felt free to offer the services that I knew people needed.
1: Yeah. I I don't know that either one of you or even me are successful. uh, Like in marketing because everybody else is doing that. Aren't, Isn't everybody in marketing looking for a different approach? I mean, people that call someone to market for them. Yeah. I'm not looking for what everybody else has got. That's not going to get me to the table. Right. Or with what you do. You think a parent wants to sit and listen to you, Sarah, regurgitate what you read somewhere? No, they want you to look them in the eye with passion and say, here's what I think because of what I've learned, because of what I know about your son or daughter, because of what experience has taught me in marketing. Yeah. I can give you what every other company in the world has. It's not going to separate you from everybody. And a marketer from outside your profession can look and say, I don't know. Well, yeah, but this is my passion. This is what I believe in. And this is what's getting me there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems so simple to me now. The concept is simple, to follow through with it, it ain't so simple. You know, you gotta have the courage, you gotta be able to get up in people's faces if it's what it takes. I go back now, yeah, on what I said to administrators at certain times, because this is my program and I'm not doing it the way that's gonna make you comfortable as far as, you know, not not being, uh, because I don't have the courage to step across the line and handle things the way they should instead of the way it looks to everybody. That's not going to get. And then the other thing is, so your business falls apart because you're slowly dying a slow death because you're not bringing the passion with it. You're too worried about, you know, A, B, and C from some worn out college book that they passed out. Uh, that's, do you know, one of the greatest teachers I ever saw was one of the worst students I ever saw. I'm teaching <laughs> in school and I see this gal who's about my age, who's about 10, 15 years older than anybody else because she got late. And I saw her come out thinking, whoa, she's going to teach? This was the craziest girl you ever wanted to run into. At lunchtime, I say to her cooperating teacher, hey, how's she doing? She said, oh, wow, she came in and took control. I'm learning things from this girl. Now, there's nobody that went to school with her that would ever believe that she's going to go on to be a great teacher and a great administrator and if she would have listened to all the or felt all the guilt that she had, we would have lost a great person. You know, the experiences we bring to the table are not from the book. That's you know what a, a, a right. workbook mm-hmm. is or a college book is. That's just a common ground to work from mm-hmm. to find yourself. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, we all need a little direction. OK, here's the direction. Now, will you let me go on my own course and interpret that? The way, and then as experience goes, I'm better than that book. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly believe teaching. I, I'm not going to learn from a book. I need that guidance, but I'm going to mm-hmm. learn from sitting down with some little girl, you know, that that teaches me through her experiences mm-hmm. how to approach this life we have.
0: And, and Tony, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, these the books and the curriculums and, you oh. know, the schooling and the education, like these are all things that, yes, guide us. They provide us with a, a foundation, but that doesn't have to be the whole house yeah. and that we have to ensure that we are Picking and choosing what feels in alignment with us. We're using our experience and we're truly making that connection in order to continue to live out our passion and our mission.
1: I mean, that's perfectly said. That's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm.
2: So Tony, I want to get your take on something. So I'm just like, my brain is buzzing. This is such a great conversation. So I want to, I want to hear your take on no. So as a teacher, as a mentor, how have you woven in boundaries and learning to say no into what you teach your children? How, how has that affected, you know, when you're trying to build character and, you know, team, like where has no factored in?
1: Well, I don't know if I understand correctly. I, I've always tried to teach the kids who I've taught and coached, uh, you know, no, isn't an option. And I'm not talking about moral, anything like that. It's anyone Mm. that tries to uh, tell you that you can't read. You know, that that Mm, someone's trying mm -hmm. to beat you down because you're not reading at the level everybody else is. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, you can't be successful. Don't don't accept that. Mm -hmm. I I think our job is more to teach them. Yes, you can. I I had a student that I had a special reading program that I taught just for a year at the junior high level. They wanted to get a for the kids that struggle reading programs started and it's hard to pull a kid out of class because they feel different. They thought, well, let's bring the coach over and maybe they'll think that's cool. But I sat the young man down. This is one of the toughest kids. I mean, he got tattoos. He's in eighth grade. He's got the spiked hair. I mean, it, this is a big, strong kid. So, uh, I sitting him down. I realized he can't read. He's at a third grade level. And I, you know how tough that is for a kid. And, uh, so I took him back and we started reading third grade books, and he'd answer the questions, and I gave him a little test. He got a hundred on it, yeah, third mm-hmm. grade level. I look in this big, tough guy, he's emotional. I said, "What's the matter?" He goes, "I've never gotten an A before. Mm-hmm. Why is someone wow. saying no to him that you can't do this? Mm-hmm. No, you're not a good student. No, sit in the back of the room. No, well, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem.
0: Well, Antonia, what I'm hearing you say, and you kind of touched on it before, like you were saying no to the system of, you know, this disciplinary, you know, track, right? Like you were not going, that was your hard no. You're like, no, I'm not going to, you know, have this discipline plan of action for someone who's late i'm gonna i'm choosing to say yes to connection and talking with them i'm also hearing you say i said no i'm not going to fail this kid or like i'm gonna meet with him so I'm curious, and you know what Heather's alluding to, and you know the idea of our podcast is setting boundaries and saying no to live out your authentic mission and your purpose. So what have been boundaries or nos you've had to say to society to systems in order to integrate the importance of that personal development and personal growth?
1: Well, I think uh, saying no that I'm going to teach like everyone else, saying no, I'm going to use my own passions, my own experiences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saying no to uh, maybe administrators who want you to do things like everybody else. Now you gotta sell that to them. You know, don't get me wrong. You don't go off into the sunset doing your own things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but saying no, I, I I really do have a better idea if you'd give me a chance. Uh, saying no to someone that thinks you can't teach elementary school and coach varsity football, you're not even in the same building with them. Saying no to a young man, we are not going to bend to your social needs, when we have a team that we have to stay with. Saying no can be the the toughest thing, but it's the one, like you said earlier, that frees you up. No, I'm not doing it that way. Now, again, you have to stay within the parameters of what we've all set in society. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm not going to walk this thin line because somebody said it who you don't even know, somebody mm-hmm. set that narrow and, and says, well, no one's allowed to fall off that. Well, had I not fallen off of it 40 years ago, I'm not talking to you guys right now. Mm. Uh, it, it Say no to people who want you to be something that you're not. And be proud of the fact that you have the courage to say no. A lot of times when we try to get to a certain level, even our mom and dad will scratch their head. Well, no, mom and dad, look, this is what I owe to the people who I work with. Yeah, it might not look real good to you, but no, I can do it all. And and I'm gonna make mistakes along the way, just like everyone else has. And I'm gonna choose. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna let it bury me. No, I'm gonna learn from it. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the experience and run with it. Uh don't, don't say no about anything that you know fits, that you know that you believe in, that you know can make a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I know when I speak to other coaches, they scratch their head and they say, how are you getting? I would have a nine o'clock curfew. All right. For high school kids, you got to be home by nine in the season. All right. Coaches from all over would say, well, you're going to lose your football team. OK, well, no, I'm not changing. Because I've watched it work, not not just to be stubborn. You know, if if there's something that I've uh, attacked or pursued that I know isn't right. Well, now, come on. Now you're hurting someone else. It's okay to say, yeah, I kind of took the wrong path. You know, I shouldn't have said no on this one. But I, I don't want... You know, when I taught, I don't want anybody to say, hey, Justin Saunders, you haven't been out for football for a while. Nah, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. Well, well, then we lost what he had to offer. Mm -hmm. So you have to say no to a lot of things. And I think the big ones come from within ourselves Mm -hmm. or within our family that say, well, well, you know, my mom and dad didn't have the same vision I had. They don't have the same passion I have. They didn't have that little girl who was dropped off at the mall. All right. Listen to me on this. Dropped off at the mall by her mom and dad. And they never came back to get them. They never. Now, I know how to handle that because I've been through it. So I'm not going to say, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to do it the right way. Don't tell me, no, you can't sit the girl down and try to understand her, you know, supposed to keep them all in their desk and let's teach them all the same. and Let's give them the same curriculum. Baloney. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I need to do something here and I'm going to do it and come and get me.
0: You need to meet her where she's at.
1: Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things in life I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here's and here's something real simple. A lot of girls can come into and I'm just going to focus on the girls for a minute, because that's what I'm thinking about for this. They I I never graded a paper that the student didn't stand next to me. We're going to do this together. It's you and me. Let's Mm -hmm. see how we can do this. Then you can say, hey, you've done beautiful. Keep it up. But the little guy or little girl that's struggling. OK, mm-hmm. you can say, hey, you know what? Let me let me do this with you again. Let's rework this. Mm-hmm. Let me help you. Listen, if we don't get it tomorrow, good. Then the next day we'll have it. But sometimes the girls that come up to you that look like they belonged in a fashion show. You know, they're neat. They're clean. Their hair looks good. Then there's a little girl comes up, you know, she doesn't have the same clothes. She's got the hand me down. Can I tell you something just to say, you know what? Boy, you look better every day that you come into my classroom. I can't wait for it until tomorrow you don't think that that's got a hold of that girl a little bit should do anything for you because nobody else is telling her that. They're probably making fun of her in the lunchroom or in the recess or whatever. She feels like she's got a buddy there. You know, you think I was able to motivate her. She do anything I asked her to do and stay up late to get it done. So I've never read that in a book. You ever read that in a book somewhere that, Hey, here's the way, uh, It's just simple things to say, you know what? I can't wait till tomorrow because you look a little better every day.
0: I am. I'm like crying again. I don't know why I'm so emotional today. You just you get all of the emotions out of me, Tony. And all I keep thinking is I would pay big money to have my boys in your classroom. (laughs) Um, I do. I want to just real quick your book. To lead a good life. Can you tell us, you know, just give us a snapshot of the book. Give us a little taste of it and what got you to write it.
1: Yeah, well, in the the off season, I would sit down a lot and just take notes and write about students or ballplayers who I have coached or I'd write little stories about them to share. You know, with students to share with parents, to share with fellow teachers, to share with fellow coaches. And I looked and I thought, wow, I I got a like a nice list of little stories here about my family, about my neighborhood, about the Justin Saunders of this world. I mean, I could write a beautiful story about that kid, couldn't you? And so I started to think, while I do this, it's it's inspiring me. You know, I'm getting a collection here. Of stories that have made a difference in my life, and by you know, I wanted to inspire others because ball players used to say to me, "Hey, coach, when you talk, don't use notes. we love it when you just go. Just go with it so and it was always talking about, "Oh, you guys think you're having it tough today. What about this little guy that's having it tough? So I've taken these lifelong stories short stories because all of us are so busy. You know, they're a page and a half each one. There's uh 62 of them. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And they're just written to motivate me. And I noticed they were motivating a lot of people, an old English teacher who never thought I'd be writing. <laughs> never <laughs> thought I'd be. you, know, you said no uh, to him. No. You know, <laughs> so, uh yeah, that's what it's about. Something I proud. Of. I never dreamt. Just the other day, I got an email from a gal, uh, University of North Carolina, who teaches medical students, health students, and that type of thing. And she bought a case. Home. She said, I want a case every year for my graduates, the kids that are graduating. I said, well, what are you from Huron or did I teach you or what? She goes, no, I got on your website because I read one of your articles in a newspaper. I And she goes, I think this is pretty cool. And uh, so, you know, I mean, it's good that the word's getting out there because these little people who I have taught, the the older kids who I've coached, people like you guys that have motivated or inspired me. The way you inspire people is to tell stories about people who inspired you. Right. I don't know. So that's what it's all about. It's something I'm very proud of. But can I tell you something? It's hard work. It's a lot of time and effort, but I'm yeah. glad I have something I can leave for my family and the kids and the who I've coached and taught. Thanks for well, asking. And, well,
0: and I think that that's a really a pivotal piece too to acknowledge is that sometimes people only see the final product mm-hmm. thing and they don't realize like the blood, the sweat, the tears, the mistakes, you know, okay. how long it's taken. And so if you do start to notice that comparison, it's important to recognize. Like we, it's taken a long time to get to the point that we're at. Where can people find your book?
1: Uh, I, you know, any Amazon.com and type in Tony Legando. Okay. Uh, it'll pop up, and there's other like I think it's Barnes and Noble, and I, I don't know. I'm not a good marketing person. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
2: What's your I, website?
1: uh tonylegando.com okay tonylegando.com.
2: Right. Hey, can, look,
1: can i throw this in or are we running out of time I mean,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Time for all here's the time a, in the I,
1: world here's the problem with my book okay I want something that relates to young, like like ten year olds. And this can, if you sit down and direct them, I notice some of the kids in my class are reading it, and that just thrills me. They look at me sometimes, think, "God, that guy wrote that book. I can't believe that." (laughs) But what I'm in the process of now is taking these stories. You're gonna smile when I see this, and turn them into fables. Okay, like like today's fables. And I happened to stumble upon a a gal by the name of Beth Sage, who I coached her son. Because if you write a children's book, you better have some good illustrations. So I sent her a couple of them. and Oh, my God. I had no idea she was this good. But but it just thrills me that I'm putting together something. I got 31 of them done right now. And that's all I'm going because little guys and gals don't want to. So now it's a matter of waiting for her to illustrate them. And that takes a lot of time. Uh, So I just, I'm real happy with that because I'd love to see a little person sit down and open up your book. And it's a fable because I noticed some reason in the first line, when a young person reads a fable, they're just gone. They're, they're so into the story, but mm-hmm. have it relative to leadership. So start to groom them when they're young. Like I used to groom our little football players when they were yeah. young to teach yeah. them how to do team. You guys are probably falling asleep. All your listeners oh are so my much my asleep at all. right now.
0: And, and not, not at all. all. And Tony, I feel like again, and I keep saying this over and over, I'm so glad this is recorded because I know I'm going to keep listening and you have sprinkled in So many truth bonds, so much wisdom and knowledge. But we always like to ask our listeners towards the end, if there is one piece of advice or golden nugget that you would like to leave to kind of tie up this episode with a pretty little bow, what would you like to share?
1: Well, I I think probably what we've talked quite a bit about is we all have a gift and, you know, it's it's not fair to back off from it because of any outside pressures. You got to figure out how to bust through it and stay on focus. Don't say no that, to yourself that you can't do this because you can. It might be a bigger battle for you than someone else, but I think that's going to bring you to the table with more passion. I I really, uh, you know, Woody Hayes once said the toughest job in America is to come back to your hometown and be the head coach. Don't do that. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm in the Ohio High School Hall of Fame. I was in a different building than 70 of the roughest kids in the hallway. Yeah, I did. It took me a little longer maybe than the guy that's in the hall all the time. But that wasn't me. I want to work with young people and still be able to coach. So I would say don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can, because I've watched people do it for a lifetime and they have inspired me to keep going. I think I still got a little passion. You know, for what, what I do. Yeah. So <laughs> a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. Good I love thing, it. Good yeah. thing you can't see me moving and my hands going all the whole time because I get going because I just love it.
0: Well, Tony, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time again out of your busy schedule. This is going to be an episode that that I just know is going to resonate and touch the lives of so many. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us. And just one more time, anything that you want to plug any other ways that our listeners can find you your articles.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I get a little, uh, I don't know about marketing myself. I, I, I'm proud of the book. I'm proud of chance to go out and speak because I do have a passion. I guess TonyLegando.com is what a marketer would tell me to do mm-hmm. right now. And read my where, book. Where to are lead a good life. articles? Uh, like the Sandusky Register is owned by a certain company. And it's basically in through the Sandusky, Norwalk, Tiffin, I think, Fremont area. Uh, okay. They're on my website. If you go in, oh, you great. can click and those articles will come up and,
2: fantastic. Uh, It's
1: just a chance again to inspire and motivate.
0: Well, we'll be sure to link that in our show Mm -hmm. notes that listeners can find you and visit your website and also
2: uh, get access to your book.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Of
2: course. (laughs) What a great conversation. It's been so much fun.
1: Well, you guys guys bring out that passion. I mean, I, uh, I appreciate that you make uh, I'm sure you do with everybody make people feel comfortable and they'll open up and I just feel totally comfortable sharing what I have learned uh, with other people because you guys have given me the opportunity and I feel comfortable doing it you guys are pretty cool well thank you so much. Well, thanks
0: yeah. and I'm sure you know there'll be a phone call from me here in the, in the near future well
1: that's uh, I'm here because that's what I do yes okay
2: All right. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. My pleasure. Special thanks to Rihanna Carusis of Collective Reach and the Social Distance Happy Hour podcast who inspired and challenged us to start this podcast and helped us produce our first episode.
0: Thanks also to our families and friends for all their encouragement and support and to you, our listeners, for joining us on this adventure.
2: That's a Hard No is a joint production of Clever Girl Marketing and Purposeful Growth and Wellness.
0: Logo design by Angela Giacco of A Pink Sunset. You can find her at apinksunset.com.
2: Music by G.G. Riggs. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life.
0: So do it. Find your no, then say it unapologetically.
2: That's a hard no.